Hey, Mark, you know I've been spending a lot more time in Denmark recently. Yeah, the uh, bakery date uh, is in the calendar still. Well, it being a Nordic country uh, and everything, I found the perfect solution to streaming all those lovely films and TV shows that we review whilst I'm there. Well, what on earth would that perfect solution be, Simon? Well, Nord VPN, of course. You see, it's Nord Nordic. Yeah, no, no, yeah. It's I get it. Moving on. With one click, NordVPN can change my device's virtual location so I can access all the content I need when I'm abroad. I can now watch poor things, whether in London or Paris. Why even wait until you're on holiday? You can do it right now and access content in over 61 different countries, unlocking all this content for less than a price of a Pano Raisin a month. Pano Raisin. Pano Raisin. To take our huge discount huge. off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com take. Our link will also give you four extra months for free on the two-year plan. Now, back to the show. Um, all right. <clears throat> Are we a clap? The body and the blood, the body and the blood, the body and the blood. <laughs> Do you see it? The blood. No, no, no. I just, I listened to your review and, um, yeah, the only thing that could have made it better was if I was, I was there, I was just gutted not to have <laughs> been sitting in for Simon when a proper commodian rant hit it was uh it was phenomenal it's, it, especially the, i think my favorite bit was that i've started to so finish bit when the buzzer <laughs> went and you just like fine I'm, i've still got water <laughs> there's more to attack here you sounded genuinely offended Ve well it was, uh, it was very very bad i mean very 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 bad mm. and it's 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 kind of it it's always worse when you do that like making a sequel to something that was Great. Just making a bad film is fine, mm. but it was the sort of desecrating something. Yeah, yeah. I do, and I do feel like that about reason. It. I always remember that um, William Friedkin said, the, "The Exorcist 2, He said that film is the product of a demented mind, <laughs> and he t used to tell this story about the first time that they had um, they had a preview screening of it. And um, the Warner executives had all thought they'd made something very clever, you know, it's going to be a hit because it was the Exorcist. So they were all there, and the screening was at Oakwood or somewhere. And there's a full screening room, and uh, and the executives are there, and then you know they so they go outside, and, you know, wait for their cars. But meanwhile, the cars they drop them off, and the executives say, you know, it'll be a couple of hours, it will be great. And the cars go off. Anyway, the film starts playing, and it's terrible, and it's absolutely terrible. And the executives start to feel the you know the temperature in the room change, and then they they some point they, they they kind of start to leave the theater and this guy in the audience stands up and shouts the people responsible for this film are in the building <laughs> and the executives walk out to get into their cars the cars have gone off they sent them away for two hours so the audience there's no escape, there's no escape. <laughs> see that would be a good horror movie them being surrounded by an angry mob is the is the real criminal whoever has the ip from the original that just keeps giving out. How does it work? Well, the story you said there's going to be another two of these. That's things. the theory. This, the, the the story. This the story that's been reported is that they paid four hundred million for the IP, but I think that that you know that must be therefore for the series because the IP is the value. The only the only value in Exorcist Believer is the word Exorcist. So right. So they've paid a huge amount of money, and I don't know whether that figure is correct or whether that figure includes. But you know the reported figure is four hundred million. They have spent a lot of money getting the right to make an Exorcist movie, and then they have made 
believer. And the theory is there are going to be two more. Next one is deceiver. But and the timing of it sort of bird songing all over the uh, the anniversary of, it's, of the yeah. original. Well, at the same time. yes, except that you know, brilliantly, the the original went into cinemas and did great, and you know, packed mm. out audiences the places that we're showing. And then deceiver. I mean, deceiver. Well, we said said it will have one week at number one, and then it'll just drop like a stone. So excellent. Yes. All right. Well, maybe we'll be reviewing something a bit more. Palatable. We will. We'll hello, Ben. Oh, and hello, uh, yeah, <coughs> this is not Simon. Obviously, it's, it's me. I'm in. From where do you stay when Mayo's away? I have to stay in the, break in, into his house anyway. And <laughs> no, actually, the you know, weirdly, I hadn't thought about that, but th- that would probably be the case. No, I, I, I enjoy the, um, the, the hospitality offered by some of the premium low rent hotels. In the, you know, Premier Inn, Travelodge, wherever your room won't be broken into <laughs> right, yeah. by strangers. Yeah, although. Mm. <laughs> I, 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 I've told you this. I, I stayed in one yeah, yeah. one down market chain, and mm-hmm. uh, they gave me the, the key to the door, and uh, and I went to the door, and I opened the door, and there were people in it. There you go. Because they gave me the key Fantastic. to somebody else's room, and I went back to the reception. I said, "Excuse me, there are people in that room." They said, "Oh, that happens all the time." Mm, did not. Did not. <laughs> did not instill a sense of confidence. Anyway, <laughs> all right. So, what are we going to look at? What are we we look are at? going to be reviewing Silver Dollar Road, mm-hmm. which is a documentary. Uh, Fall of the House of Usher, which is the new series by Mike Flanagan who made Midnight Mass, which I absolutely loved, and The Miracle Club with our special guest. Yeah, Laura Linney, who I will be, have been, did interview, haven't interviewed yet, have interviewed. Yes. Simple as that. That's that's like Um, the thing in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy when they they have to form a new... A new tense in the language for because of time travel. So essentially, we are doing the program now. You haven't yet interviewed Laura Linney. Interview her tomorrow, and then Friday when the show comes out, I will have interviewed. Have, her. So yeah. I interviewed I will have her even been yesterday, yes. and it exactly. was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> it's like Lister in Future Echoes. You know, when he finds out that he's died, he says it hasn't actually happened. Hasn't actually happened. Happened, happened, happened yet. Exactly. So that's all. That's all to look forward to. Yeah, lots to look forward to, as well as uh, another ninety minutes minimum of this yeah. waffle in the extra takes, the, the madness of take two and the madness of take we'll, three. I we'll, we'll talk about pop records that we. Yeah, like there's going to be <laughs> the recommendation feature, weekend watch list, weekend not list, um, favorites and, and and most hated. Uh, we got the bumper bonus review edition this week. We've got what, what's on the bonus edition? Uh, we've got some other hood, yes. Cassius X, Paw Patrol, the Mighty Movie. Wow. I know you're. Hot to find out my hot take on that, <laughs> and uh, then Mean Streets and Friday the Thirteenth both being reissued, so we can talk about that as well. That's pretty cool. And uh, Pretentious Moir is heating up massively because Mark Kermode is on eighteen, and Mark Kermode is on nineteen. Oh, did I get? Did we upped it to a point. It was eighteen. Did we up? Did we upped it to a point. I'm, I'm, I'm fine. That's great. That's great. No, no, it's written. That's there. You can't go back. They've done the. Yeah. Maybe we get VIR on. Simon Paul wasn't in the building, so he. Um, I see. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, one frame back. <laughs> yeah, it just, it just, it just doesn't matter. Just overruled by he was that he was in the building. He was and also for the pretentious moir. Isn't it, this week? I'm I'm doing Ben right. It's Uno River. Yeah, I'm doing you, not you doing me. Oh, yeah. Okay, you're in the hot seat. Right. Did you not know this? Uh, no, I had no have you idea. Not read the script in advance. Oh yes. No, of course I have. What are you talking about? I'm I'm professional. Uh, <laughs> you're an actor. Like literally reading the script in advance is the thing you're meant to do. Yeah, but you know, I often just highlight my lines. 
<laughs> no idea what my motivation is. Yes, um, officer. <laughs> one frame back. Objection, Your Honor. <laughs> is inspired by the fall of the House of Usher and it's yes. uh, Edgar Allan Poe adaptations. And you can find all of this on um, Apple Podcasts or head to extratakes.com if you don't have a fruit-related device. And uh, as ever, if you're already a vanguardist, uh, we salute you. We salute you. Um, there we go. Right. Um, let's get into some emails. This is from Ryan, who says, uh, Dear Doctor One and Doctor Two, a film telling the story of a band of prisoners devising and hatching a plan to evade their captors and ride off into the sunset towards freedom, but, spoiler alert for a 60-year-old film, results in almost all of the participants being captured, recaptured or shot dead. Yeah. Can't really be considered great, nor an escape. <laughs> the great adventure to end up worse than before or the nice idea but shame about the execution maybe but uh, a great escape it is not yep. love the show and down with the Nazis this is on the subject film titles this is on the subject of film titles that don't, that don't, that don't make any yes and the, the, what the story is the classic is unstoppable in which the train stops stops yeah um, here's another one uh, dear, dear Falcor and Gamork 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 Gamork. I don't know. On the subject of movies where the title's wrong, I suggest the never-ending story. <laughs> Ended after one hour and 42 minutes. Also, every Mission Impossible movie. They're always hard, but they're always possible. That's right, they're always possible. Tinkety-tong. There is an argument with never-ending story, but actually because they're all the sequels, that, that, that it, it is... Should have ended. Theoretically, no, the, yes, the hasn't quite ended yet. Ended story. yet, maybe should have story. It's a bizarre film, wasn't it? I remember seeing the, the first one when it came out, and the, the if I remember correctly, the theme tune was sung by Limal, who was, but Limal from Kajagoogoo. Mm. Really? Yes. Beyond the that river. adds to the weirdness it, of the whole yeah, thing. Precisely because, because they're making this movie and they think, who do we want to get to sing the theme tune? Let's get that guy out of Kajagoogoo. No, not Nick Beggs, the other one. The other guy. Yeah. And cause it's, sort of, it's sort of framed like an American fantasy. Yeah. It's, but wasn't it like German? German, yeah, 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 yeah. Very, very odd. But with Limal. Yeah. <laughs> with Limal, who had the kind of the, the strange, the, the, dual, the dual hair system. Yeah, it was the sort yeah. of the lower bit yeah, that yeah, was yeah. one sit. was two sections. Yeah, and then there was another bit. It was like clicked on afterwards. It was, it was the never-ending yeah, never story. story of Limal's hair was definitely a thing. Um, and, and finally, Richard Sprague, who just said on Twitter, just watched Day of the Jackal. Really wasn't his day, was it? <laughs> <laughs> Any more of that stuff, send it to correspondence at kermodeandmayo.com. Thank you very much. Uh, let's get into first review, um, Silver Dollar Road. Silver Dollar Road, which is a documentary by Ralph Peck, who made the James Baldwin film, I'm Not Your Negro, and the HBO miniseries, Exterminate All the Brutes, which won a Peabody Award. Violet Davis is one of the exec producers on this project. This is based on a ProPublica article by Lizzie Presser, which was originally headlined, Kicked Off the Land. And the article which was um, done in, the, in collaboration with The New Yorker, asked, why are so many black families losing their property? So it focused on the Curtis Reels and Melvin Davis, who were jailed in North Carolina for failing to vacate land on which they and their family had lived for years, but which it was claimed had been sold without their knowledge or consent. So they believed it to be theirs, and suddenly somebody said, no, no, we purchased this land, you have to get off it. And they said, no, we live here. Land on Silver Dollar Road had been bought by their great-grandfather 
Mitchell, 100 years earlier, it was thought of as a, as a worthless bog, but it was worked by the family and it was turned into something of value and it was waterfront. Wait, so what area is this? This is North, North Carolina. North Carolina. And the grandfather, Mitchell Reels, had worked it and transformed it. And when he died in 1970, he told his family, don't let the white man have the land. He didn't have a will, and the land was then passed through something called heirs' property, which means that it passes to the descendants, but it has been generally recognised that heirs' property is a terrible law. Apparently, in the US, 76% of African Americans don't have wills, which is more than twice the number of uh, white people. And this is significant because heirs' property laws are a legal nightmare. The US Department of Agriculture has described them as the leading cause of black involuntary land loss. So... That's what this film is about, mm. which doesn't sound immediately like this is, this is going to be like a, like a strange legal drama. But while Lizzie Presser was doing this article, she got um, videographers to film 90 hours of footage. So literally what you see is the, the story playing out right before you because while the article was being researched, all these uh, interviews and things were being done. And I think the result is is superb because, on the one hand, it is a polemical story about this you know this l- terrible legal situation in which land is literally taken away from people because the law I- is against them. But also, it does that thing about it tells a complicated legal story, but it tells it through personal testimony. So what happens is you meet the people who this story affected. Mm. You see the dwellings and the land and the history and the families. And then you see this thing play out to, in a way in which you go, no, sh- surely that can't be happening. This is this is terrible. This is, And the thing that it, it reminded me of, there was a documentary a while ago, actually I think it came out during lockdown, called Time, um, which was Garrett Bradley. And that was really a documentary about how the modern U.S penal system is a modern form of slavery. It's a way of having a workforce who have no rights, who are you know, exp- exploited. And this is a story of extended family who have worked and lived on land that is theirs, who, due to a complete injustice of the law, see everything that they have being taken away from them. And you, it works because you're invested in it. It's beautifully done, fantastic use of music really well-told story. And you can hear, even from this review, it's a complicated story. Mm. But what the documentary does is it makes it understandable on a very personal level. And I think that when you get that thing about the personal and the political completely intertwined, that's the kind of sweet spot. So I think anybody could watch it. You don't need to know anything in advance because the documentary tells you, as I said, it's based on a, on a on an article, which was kind of like a you know revelation. But it tells the story. It tells it really well. I think you'd love it. Oh, I can't wait to see it. I mean... The, the, Black people being disenfranchised is just like a, a recurring theme. Yeah. And, and you see it all over the world. You know, I mean, it, I, just as you were speaking, I was reminded of of, of the absolute birdsong show around, um, you know, people in my family, my family history in, in Jamaica being suddenly disenfranchised with their status as British citizens. Right, right, right. Yeah. You know? Um, and and this feels like yet another loophole. It's similar to what you were saying about time as well. Yeah, yeah. All Ta- sorts of fancy new ways of keeping black people in a, a, a subservient position. Do you want to hear a little clip of Silver Dollar oh, Road? Because no, we have to. one. Here we go. Yeah. Growing up here on Silver Dollar Road was so magical. It was the one place you could go. You wasn't worried about 
being targeted by the law. That property was so valuable, and not from a monetary standpoint, but valuable because of the history. The first owner of the property, he was born in slavery times. My great-grandfather died without a living will. Before he died, he said, whatever you do, don't let the white man have my land. You see what I mean about the way in which it's told? I mean, it's you were just looking at the clip there. It's visually really kind of interesting. It's got a very, very good use of, uh, of, of music, and it tells a story in a way that's completely, um, you know, it's it, it, it's personal. It's really, really personal. And anyway, I think, it's, I think it's terrific. I think you'd really like it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I always think, like, the, the, the best way to make something not feel preachy. Yeah. I mean, we might even touch on this when we... we I, I watched Of Time in the City last night. Oh, okay. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, we'll, we'll get into it later, but we'll exactly what you're saying, when, when that personal is there, yeah. if they're making points that happen to be socioeconomic or, or historical, it doesn't feel as kind of like, this is important, this is why you should care. It's like, I care. It's you know? the yeah. It's the intertwining. The intertwining of the personal and political mm. when it's done properly is very very powerful, and Absolutely. I think this is very powerful. So, uh, what have we got still to come? Uh, we're still to come. We're going to be reviewing uh, Miracle Club, in which we have mm-hmm. our special guest who, who you haven't spoken to yet. But I have. Well, but you have <laughs> in that kind of very weird way. And we'll also be talking about The Fall of the House of Russia, which is the, the new series uh, from the director of Midnight Mass. All right, awesome. And we'll be back before you can say, you have to look through the rain to see the rainbow. This episode is brought to you by the curated streaming service Mubi. Mark, for our wonderful listeners who already have a Mubi account, and for those who might be thinking about getting one, could you please tell us what films they can enjoy this May? Certainly, Simon. This month, Mubi are launching their Cannes Takeover. You know how much I love Cannes. And in honour of the Cannes Film Festival, which kicks off this month, here is a selection of what they have available to stream in the UK. They have Annette, which is the Leos Carax musical, with uh, music by Sparks, which is absolutely wonderful, and Tokyo Gar, which is the film by a German director, Wim Wenders, who travels to Tokyo to explore the world of one of his cinematic heroes, Yasujiro Ozu. That's Mubi's Can Takeover series. What else? Well, there's also Voila Varda, which is a look back on some of the best of the famous French director. There's Cleo from 5 to 7, Le Bonheur, Vagabond, The Gleaners and I, and The Beaches of Agnes. You can try Mubi free for 30 days at mubi.com slash Mayo. That's M-U-B-I dot com slash Mayo for a whole month of great cinema for free. Well, hello there. Simon and Mark here to tell you about Indeed. Yes, Indeed is driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, then you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data. And if you're busy watching all of this week's film recommendations and you have no time, then you can use Indeed for scheduling, screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. But Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 75% of employers claim Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other online job sites. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So, the more you use Indeed, the better it gets, like us. Why not join the more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast? Listeners of this show will get a £100 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed 
indeed.com slash Kermode Mayo. That's indeed.com slash Kermode Mayo. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Indeed. And we're back on the other side of the rainbow here. Here's an email <laughs> from Anne Desmond, who's a vanguardista of the OAP corner of the church. Uh, dear Mark and Ben, you can experience Japanese toilets. Oh, yeah, we were talking yeah. about the amazingness. The amazingness. Of I think Simon mentioned they have like maybe five times as many public toilets yeah. in Tokyo as they do. Yeah. And, and, and their toilets are wild. I mean, like really. I mean, the one you described at your friend's place. Yeah. It was, I wanted to go there. It was, it was a wash and blow dry, basically. It was evocative. <laughs> I dream of a wash and blow dry one day. Uh, anyway, sorry, Dean. Um, Dean says, you can experience Japanese toilets at Japan House, uh, the gorgeous shop and art space on High Street, Kensington. Oh, wow. Two-minute walk from the tube station. That's a good shout. Uh, they are wonderful. Take your sandwiches in as you'll, I don't know, as you'll <laughs> want to stay on its warm seat all day being washed and gently dried. I, I think just, I don't think I have... Things going in and out at the same time. The weird, the, the weird thing with the warm seat thing is that if you are us, if I sit on a warm toilet seat, it's you, it feels. There was a word um, that used to be is called scrumbugly. Scrumbugly is the the slightly uncomfortable feeling you get sitting on a bus seat that's still warm from the previous passenger. Oh yeah, that is yeah. a bit weird. Yeah, well, imagine that on a toilet seat. Mm. It's like I would like the toilet seat to be cold. Yes, yeah. <laughs> but, but, you know, they, that makes a lot of sense. Have, I remember in the 80s going to certain people's houses and they'd have that furry lining on top of a toilet seat. That feels never all types that, of wrong. Never got that, yeah. They what were probably a, the a, same people who had bits of carpeting in their bottom, so. <laughs> Yeah, the bit that fits around the bottom. I mean, why? <laughs> no. Uh, let's, let's do the streamers and box office yes. top 10. Uh, starting at 54, of course, mm -hmm. Mindset. I like Mindset a lot. I mean, I... I think it's well it's well played. It's a sort of very independent drama about uh, a scriptwriter and an actor living together. And uh, on one hand, it's kind of very tragicomic, and it deals with difficult subjects like the mental health issues. Mm. But it's kind of, there's a, just a hilarious bit in which Steve Oram is the script scriptwriter, and he's working on a, a script which is about a space cadet wrestling with his sexuality, and he describes it to the director he's punting it to as silent running meets broke back mountain. <laughs> and I said, I would pay money to see I, that I film. <laughs> Mindset. All right. Yeah. And at the UK 22 is Golda. Yes. So, so this uh, caused some controversy. It did. And around non-Jewish actors playing yes. Jewish characters. Yeah. There was, a, there was a very specific, you know, question about whether or not. Of course, weirdly enough, Helen Mirren responded very well to this saying, uh, yeah, I think it is a valid question. I think, mm -hmm. I think the, the film itself is very, uh, it's very nuts and bolts. It's, it's you know, it, it's not doing anything remarkable. Is the harmonica hanging around your neck, does it play? Oh, I'm so delighted. I'm sorry, I only just noticed that you literally have a harmonica hanging around your neck. <laughs> this is a, it's a mini Hona for those at home. It's called A, a Little Lady. Yeah, I was in a flea market in Brooklyn when my kids were very small and Child 2 was about three or four. Mm. And at the time, I was spending a lot of time traveling around the world as a jobbing stand-up. Yeah. So I was missing a lot of their pivotal moments which was quite sad to me but she picked this up from a store and she thought it was the cutest thing ever well, so I stuck it on a necklace and well, thought, that's just lovely and it's called a little lady so I thought oh, well you know when I'm in a 
bog standard hotel room somewhere in the middle of nowhere, walking in on strangers, probably. So <laughs> I can remember my little lady. UK's number 10, Blackberry. Yes. So we didn't review this last week because we, we had a ton of stuff going on. So this is like after Air and Tetris, this is the latest drama about copywriting a modern product. Oh my God, is, I was going to joke that is this a movie about a mobile is. phone? Yeah. No, we, well, because it's, yes, Blackberry, <laughs> which is kind of, which was kind of wiped out by the rise of mobile phones. So this is co-written by Matt Johnson, who's an indie filmmaker behind things like The Dirties. And it's adapted from a book called Losing the Signal, the untold story behind the extraordinary rise and spectacular fall of Blackberry. And it starts with these two Ontarians, uh, Mike and Doug. They're attempting to sell their new kind of Palm Pilot pocket link device to Jim Barsilli. Uh, they're played by Jay Baruchel, Matt Johnson, who is the director and co-writer, and Glenn Howerton. And they are basically tech doofuses. They run this research in motion company like a crash. They have movie nights. They throw stuff around. He initially gives them, you know, short shrift, but then he comes back after getting fired from his company and says, okay, I will take you on as long as I can be CEO of the company and I'm given half the company. And they agree and promptly find themselves making and selling more Blackberries than than the network can handle. And the more he sells, the more the network can't handle it and hostile takeovers are looking back. Here's a quick clip. Mike? Hi. There are three reasons why people buy our phones. Do you know what they are? Email. They work. Yeah, okay. It's not us, Jim. It's the carrier. Verizon is doing something weird. Okay, well, I'm about to do something weird if you don't fix this. Now! Um, the deal I, was, I get the engineers, I, you shrink the data! Are you, are, you, are you selling more phones? What the hell do you think I've been doing over here, Mike? We're in the middle of a hostile takeover! Why do you have somebody babysit you, dork? Okay, okay. So that's... Okay. Uh... Yeah, the entire system is crashing. He's selling more phones. God damn it! Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. You know, maybe just uh, hold off selling more. Phones. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> the sound you can hear is him smashing up a phone box, and then the rest of the film is basically on the one hand he's doing the sell, sell, sell. The 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 kind of slacker guy is doing the. Hey, no, we don't want to do this. And then the main guy is kind of stuck in the middle. So there are echoes of social network. You know, which has got it's a scrappy company thing with two guys at the centre, and then they get torn apart by by the success. There is an and the plot actually coincides with 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 Steve Jobs, and you know, as the the iPhone comes along, <clears throat> other things happen in the tech world that basically the story of BlackBerry is basically it was huge until iPhones arrived, mm. and then suddenly there weren't. So anything. Anything that's in that area, you kind of basically... I don't think it's really funny that you think I was going to joke this was about Blackberry, and no, it yeah. really is. And there's also a bit of dumb money in it in that the, it's, um, you know, it's guys in basements wearing headbands and funny T-shirts doing things that will, you know, that will change the world around them. There's also a kind of underlying thing about he's an indie filmmaker, these guys are a scrappy indie tech, he's actually playing one of them. So there's a kind of thing about indie cinema. The right. best description of this is my colleague Wendy Ide at The Observer coined this word, and I think it's brilliant. She said when she was talking about this and Tetris and this whole sort of series of movies in you know, air about the sneaker, she calls them biopics, B-U-Y, biopics. Nice. Yeah. And I think that's absolutely what they are. They are biopics. They are like the life story of a product that we buy and is meant to change. I kind of enjoyed this. It was fun. You, you heard from that. The mm. tone is kind of ripe and comic. But I never had a BlackBerry C. So I only found them bizarre because they had an entire QWERTY keyboard on them. Yeah. That just seemed like too many buttons. Yeah. And then they were really wide, weren't they? 
yeah, they were a big thing. Apparently, they were they, they were you know secure. I don't know because I, I literally I'm very very slow to text. So by the mm. by the time I knew what a BlackBerry was, it had already been the iPhone just wiped it out. Yeah, like and, almost and now, overnight. If yeah, not. exactly. So Interestingly, went, oh yeah, I've just got a piece of glass. There was a period where just before the iPhone wiped out the BlackBerry, lots of people still had Blackberries. Yeah, and I know this whole new wave of people were getting iPhones, and it was at that point I know this because I'm sat here today because I was a super fan of the old version of this show. And I spoke about it in The Observer, which the redactor-in-chief must have read. And right. I got a call, come in and take Simon's place right. when he's away. You know, um, well, So I remember back in the day, uh, you and Simon, I can't remember which of you it was, discussing, because uh, you don't want to overbrand on the BBC, yeah. fruit-based devices. That was Simon. Blackberries. That was absolutely Simon. And apples, Simon. anything else that yeah, might yeah, have yeah. a fruit. It was probably Simon. It was absolutely That's where Simon. it comes from. I think now when people hear it, they assume that it's just a reference to Apple. <laughs> but actually, yeah, no, right. Blackberry's a big Blackberry's part a fruit, of yeah. Yeah, the yeah. fruit-based device yeah. birth. Well, there we go. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, moving on to the UK's number nine, which is A Little Life. Okay. So, not from that's a, that is a, st- a streamed theatrical production. Oh. So, that's, yeah. So, right. that's fine. Okay. Uh, and then uh, at UK, uh, UK's number eight, can it be any more Ken Loach? And the answer is no. If, weirdly enough, I went to see a screening oh, yesterday and I walked, oak. I walked past the poster of the old oak, and the poster is literally the most Ken Loach <laughs> poster. It's a bunch of people with a brass band and a banner. <laughs> marching hand in hand but you know it's kind of you have to admire the fact that he has he has plowed that furrow and he has not compromised or changed he ever has, you no. know and we, we we love him dearly for that i mean as we were saying before on, on air it'd be lovely if some people actually picked a side and had an opinion <laughs> yeah exactly every now and again and that's never been a problem for ken Lodge. No. <laughs> <laughs> um uh, can it be any more nunning the Nun Two. Did you have you Seven. seen? Have you seen any? I don't watch these films. I don't watch them. No, okay. I'm well. like Simon. I just like when it comes to those kind of horror films. I just yeah. I mean, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm with, it's, it's like with sci-fi. If there's a great idea, if there's an idea behind the science fiction, if there's an idea behind the horror, yeah, that isn't just horror, yeah, then I'm in. Okay, but if that's not there, I just I don't even. Do you know what the idea? Do you have to. Do you know what the idea of the Nun is? Boo. Oh, that's it. Okay. Right, nuns appearing in the mirror, maybe. Yeah, you know, it's just Marilyn Manson face, you know. Right, okay. Uh, but it, it's is it hanging on in there? It's doing okay. It's done fine. I mean, that that franchise baffles me. I have to say, but it's you know, it's it's do, it's certainly washed its face financially. Mm. Yeah. Now I know a lot of uh, Denzel Washington fans, and a lot of them have said eh, it's, it's actually not. Yeah. It's not as bad as you think. The Equalizer Three. Well, why do you six. think it was bad? I mean, it's. I don't know the Equalizer Three. Yeah, but Mission Impossible 4, yeah, I mean, true. you know, I mean, yeah. it does what it says on the tin. Mm. It is, it, you know the movie that you think it is? It's that. It's that. Done well. Exactly, yeah. Fair. Yeah. Uh, and at five, A Haunting in Venice, the moustache is still. The moustache, well. the double-layered moustache, which is weirdly, it's the moustache equivalent of, of Limal's hairstyle, isn't it? There's levels to it. I enjoyed it, and Kenneth Branagh is really, you know, having, having I mean, people, somebody said to me, I saw that Haunting in Venice, it made no sense. You go, yeah, really? <laughs> wow. You know. Yeah. I, wa- I watched that Mission to Mars. I didn't make <laughs> You have to be a bit of a cynic, I think, to not enjoy it. You can just see it like having its TV premiere on the Beeb or on ITV yeah. or something at Christmas. Yeah, precisely. Think, oh, perfect. It'll be, it'll be, all the family will sit down. Yeah, Someone will fall asleep. Someone halfway through will go, who's that? <laughs> who's that person? <laughs> uh, for The Great Escaper. I thought this was really... It was really moving, but watch this. 
But, you know, as I said, it's partly because it, it there are certain films that will just hit you in a, in, a, in a way because they, I mean, Glenda Jackson reminded me of my mum. And that was it. I, I was, my critical faculties went out the window. And it was her last film, so that's yeah. added emotion. And she's great in it. She's, she's absolutely great. I was just watching some of the work that she did with Ken Russell again recently, which is an astonishing actor. And then Michael Caine. It's like, okay, we'd like somebody who is twinkly and can, with just a kind of the merest flutter of an eye, tell you a story about the backstory of this person. Get Michael Caine, you know, and it said he, he um, when Simon and I interviewed him some time ago, he said, I'm retiring. I can't make films anymore. I can't walk. No, he can. And he's out there doing it. So good for him. And uh, oh, actually, um, Jason saw this film. Uh, this is Jason on, on YouTube, uh, who said, I saw this wonderful film yesterday, he managed to hold back the tears, but only just incredibly emotional, warm and altogether a beautiful celebration of love and devotion. I cried all the way through it. Yeah, I think I probably would as well, knowing me and knowing that and thinking of my dad and all of that yeah, will yeah. get me. Uh, and Billy says, hey up, lads. Uh, just, just a quick note to say, tar for the review. Uh, it's very casual, this. <laughs> it's very Billy. Nice. Hello, Billy. <laughs> How you doing? Uh, How have I you been? Love the show. Uh, it's one I hope most will be um, positive about the stuff I write. Um, good luck. Keep up the impressive work. Maybe we'll bump into each other one day in town. I did a did come across you in Soho once, Mark. Okay. Just after you'd been very kind about Made in Dagenham. I love Made in Dagenham. And went a bit fanboy, which I expect was terrifying. Oh, this is the writer. This, this is, is the, the writer. I was thinking, who is this casual this Billy? This is the writer of right, uh, who wrote Made in Dagenham. William Ivory. William, yeah, fine. Okay, well, that makes a lot more sense. Who also wrote The Great <laughs> Escape. <laughs> did. So, uh, A up, A up, Billy boy. You've really got to read the script in advance. <laughs> yeah, I should, should have read that e the bottom of that email. First. What I usually do is I read the name first so I can say this one's from, but for well some done. reason I didn't do that. Well done. But well that's done. nice because then you got genuine surprise from me. Yeah, yeah, it was I lovely. I was not yeah, expecting that yeah. to be Billy Boy Ivory yeah. who wrote The Great Escape on. <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> number three. That's very funny. We've got Sorks. Sorks, you know, yeah. which is not a film that will, that will produce tears, but it, it does what the Saw movies are meant to do, right. and it is definitely one of the better ones. And it's, you know, there is that weird thing. Saw X, is there really anywhere else to go? Well, no, but we just go back. This is Saw 1.5 because this takes place between the, f the first and the second. They're like filling in all the... It's Star Wars. No, oh my It is literally They're Star filling Wars. They're filling in the gaps. They're filling in the gaps. But, you know, it's it's a good Saw movie if that's what you want. Right, and this is the 10th one for yeah, yeah. Saw X, yeah, yeah. Right, I've never seen any of them. Yeah. Really? Uh, no. Not a single. I told you, like uh, okay, no, fair enough. These yeah. kind of horror films, I, I would never yeah. watch. Yeah, fine. Is there some kind of added social comment, something else going on? Oh no, there I'll isn't. Out. I mean, there is, but there isn't. Yeah, the added social comment is, um, you know, we should probably all have free health care and uh, yeah, uh, yeah, you know, that's it. And at UK, UK's number two is the creator. So, like, have you seen this? Yes. And I, you, okay, you know, go on, I, go on. I I was completely swept away by. The uh, the visuals of this film, yeah, it's brilliantly designed. Like, I absolutely loved that element yeah. of it. There was lots of things that took me out of the the world every now and again. I think it was maybe a script thing, but on the whole, it was it's a bit a very similar experience to Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Okay, I felt completely immersed in the world and loved being yeah, a yeah. part of it, no question. And people say, oh, you know. This show's too kind to Gareth Edwards. I, I'm, just, I'm just being honest. That's how I felt. I, like I think there's been some unfair criticism of it. In fact, yeah. So, I mean, I really liked it. I think it's. I think it's flawed, but it's ambitious and it's an it's an original, 
original IP. Um, and I think it combines the the kind of the on the ground guerrilla filmmaking style of monsters. Yeah, they felt like know. a return to what we originally loved about yeah. Gareth Edwards. So people like him, they're a bit like exciting young footballers. They get snapped up by a behemoth club and then sit on their bench and we just watch them rot, getting yeah, yeah. getting quarter of a million a week. When we think, you know, if you could have just stuck out just getting 70 grand a week. But, but here's the thing, but Creator is a... You seeing know, you grow. Creator is a movie that looks like it cost a lot more than it did. Right. But it is it is a properly, you know, it's a, it's a big movie. Mm. So there is big visual effects. As he demonstrated with Monsters, he can do big visual effects in his mm-hmm. front room. But I do think it, it's that sweet spot, and that's, that's the phrase that he used, between Monsters on the one hand and the Star Wars stuff on the other hand. And I think it's... You know, I think it's a well, there are things wrong with it, but that doesn't make it a bad movie. Yeah. I'd much rather see an ambitious film than see a film just playing safe. And the UK's number one is the the incredible, I think you could call it incredible, Mm, in in the the exorcist believer. believer. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's it's absolutely as I said at the time, it will go to number one for one week, and then I think next week it will just plummet like a stone because it is an absolute abomination. Mm. And uh, for full review, you can yeah, you know, go, but go listen, back listen to last week's show. Very entertaining. It's, yeah, it's, well, yeah. I mean, I I I thought it was detestable. Yeah. Well, as as with a lot of your best rants, they are way more entertaining than the movie <laughs> itself. So I would recommend. All listeners and all fans of, of a Commodian rant to uh, to to rewind one week. Um, Seco six two four six on YouTube says uh, how David Gordon Green continues to make horror is beyond me. Mm. Hollywood is pretty much bankrupt of any creativity and imagination anyway. But this goes to a whole new level. Couldn't agree with Mark more. I don't. I don't say the subject of that. He's not making horror. That's the point. Yeah, that's the point. Well, I mean, you said it wasn't even scary. No, right? it's. I mean, it's got to be unbe- the baseline. Unbelievably dull. Mm. Like really properly boring, boring, boring. Like at least just be mental. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> if you're making a terrible well, horror, that's Exorcist Two. Crazy. Exorcist Two has got. Hang on, they are flying to Africa on the back of a locust. There you go. Okay, <laughs> stick that in. Let's take a little break, and when we get back, uh, we'll go straight into our special guest this week, which is Laura Linney. Hey, it's Ben Bailey Smith here, substitute taker, and this episode is brought to you by Better. Help Now, a lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. If I had an extra hour slotted into my day, I'd actually get through a question, questions. You know, it's I can never quite fit the extra shows in. We all live busy lives these days and everything seems to move at 100 miles an hour. So how do we know what to make room for? Like, how do we know what's really important when our lives are happening so quickly? Therapy can help you find what matters to you. And if you know what matters to you, you can do more of it. And isn't that why we're really here? So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and it's designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. With over a thousand therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise. And our listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash kermode. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash kermode. So we just wanted to tell you about what our friends at Rooftop Film Club are up to. As you know, they are London's king of outdoor cinema. More than just a movie with Rooftop Experiences located at Bussy Building in Peckham and Roof East in Stratford. 
Sit back, relax, get cosy in a blanket and use the QR code on your seat to have food and drink delivered directly to you. They're playing all the award-winning films like Past Lives, Anatomy of a Fall, All of Us Strangers, but also classics like Interstellar, When Harry Met Sally, and more recent films like Challenges and Fall Guy. Rooftop Film Club offers memberships for as little as £25 per month. That's not all. As a Vanguard Easter, you get two-for-one tickets on a Wednesday with the code THETAKE24. That's T-H-E-T-A-K-E. 24. Visit rooftopfilmclub.com. Okay, welcome back. Our guest today is Laura Linney. Now, normally I would do a reel off a list of amazing things that she's done and that she's about to do. But what with the SAG strikes and everything, we can only actually really <laughs> reference the movie, which is kind of good because it keeps things focused and it'll stop me from waffling on. And you know Laura Linney. I mean, she's just incredible. As you're about to hear from this interview, she is an incredibly warm and thoughtful person. It was kind of a joy, not kind of a joy, it was a joy to speak to her. So hopefully you'll get the same kind of joy in through your lug holes. After this clip from her new film, The Miracle Club. How much for the flowers? I want to pay you back. I bought them for your mother. She didn't think you'd be here. Why would she think that? Have you ever come back in 40 years? For the flowers. I don't need that. It was an honor. Your mother was a saint. And that was a clip from the Miracle Club. I am overjoyed to say that I'm joined here in the studio by the movie's star, Laura Linney. Laura, how are you doing? Very well. It's a real privilege to be here. Oh, thank you. That's lovely to hear. Um, so I, I saw the film on Monday uh, with, our, with our resident film critic, Mark. Um, we both loved it, which makes this that makes a it whole easier. lot easier. <laughs> I'm telling you, when it's a stinker, oh, this is boy. the most no, difficult yeah, that's, that's 15 painful. minutes. <laughs> for, for everybody involved, I, I, I'm sure. So for uh, for our listeners who are hopefully going to go out in their droves uh, next week and, and check it out, can you sort of introduce us to the, the world of The Miracle Club and, and how your character... The Miracle, Sure. The Miracle Club is a movie that takes place in Ireland in the 60s that deals with some uh, women from a very small town. There is... Uh, my character is someone who has left when she was young. She's gone to America for mysterious reasons mm. that are divulged as the movie goes on. And she returns because her mother has passed away. So she returns to bury her mother and she has to confront the members of her town who used to be her family, her, you know, maybe not her biological family, but her logical family. And there's a very tense history that needs to be negotiated. Mm. Mm-hmm. And, and and two of that, like you say, sort of non-biological family, uh, Kathy Bates' character, yes. Eileen, and, and, uh, and Maggie Smith's character, Lily. It, it's obviously very frosty when you, uh, when you meet. Mm-hmm. Um, but just that, that tension is there from the start. I'm just wondering what were the initial things? Was it Kathy? Was it Maggie? Was it exploring that character? Was it just the script itself? What drew you to taking this project on? Well, Maggie, prim- I mean, primarily. <laughs> I what an opportunity. Say, you know, she's been an idol of mine 
ever since I could you know, even think about acting. And Kathy Bates as well in the United States is, oh. you know, is a, a theater icon. And I was primarily raised in the theater. So I one of the first shows I ever saw that really imprinted deeply was a play called Vanities that she was in. Okay. So I saw her when I was quite young. So she, both of those women have had an enormous impact on how I look at acting, the type of standard I, I hope to help uphold. So it was, a, it was fantastic to be around both. You'd not worked with them before even? No, Maggie and I were friendly. Maggie and I had struck up a friendship. After, I was here in London doing My Name is Lucy Barton, which was a play at the bridge. And she came to see it, and we struck up a friendship. And then she did a one-woman show right after that at the same theater. So we were in conversation about how do you navigate doing a one-woman show. Right. Not bad conversations to have oh my gosh. <laughs> with someone <laughs> with someone like that. I just find her so, so powerful like yes. in everything that she does, but in yes. this movie in particular. There's one moment where she's almost looking into your soul. It's just yes. past the lens. I know exactly says, what moment you're talking you know, about. Yes, this might I do. be my last chance. Yes. Yes. And you know, having just lost Glenda Jackson, you know, I just it felt mm. like Yes. The character and Maggie and everybody, all of us who've loved her for yes. so long, it yes. carried so well, much there's weight. There's a generation of titans, mm. you know, who came primarily from the theater in this mm. country, who have whose influence is enormous. Mm. And, uh, you know, that we all value uh, yeah. beyond words. So mm. they, they have, they are the template and they have, you know, pointed the direction in which we should, uh, hopefully we will all go artistically. Absolutely. Um, so they are quite, quite... Special. Yes, they are. And obviously, Maggie is a, an actor who has an entire life, you know, all this experience, you can see it in her face. Mm -hmm. With the character of Chrissy, we've got to sort of imagine this experience, this 40 years that she's mm -hmm. been away. Been away, yes. I'm just interested to know a bit about your process because there's so much unseen. Yes, there's visitations from the past yeah. and there's a haunting. So yeah. the, the past is always present in, yeah. in this movie. So. You sort of, you know, you do all the good, fun actor homework. <laughs> you create the past in your brain. You make very specific details, and then you tuck it away, and you let it bleed through. Are you doing that on your own or with, with uh, Thaddeus? I do it on my own. I tend to base everything off a script so that it, is, or, it organically comes from the script itself. And then you, it, it will lead you in the right direction, you know, and then other ideas and thing will inspire you from from what the script the script sort of triggers within you so that like that first moment when you walk into the uh the sort of church hall at the event yes know, trying to win a stuffed ham or whatever mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> my character uh, comes place. into a talent show uh, yeah and that's the first time she lays eyes on these women who were once such an enormous part of her exactly. life exactly and in that moment that's where that was the first time i saw in your eyes in your the way you carried yourself 40 years yes and also what, just an acting thing that was fun mm. is to play someone who was originally from a small town in Ireland who moves to the United States, mm. who moves to Boston in the 60s. Yeah. You know, she's been there in the, you know, late 50s. No, she's been gone even longer than that. So she's been in the States for decades. But to bring that culture, that American culture into a small town in Ireland that has not changed. Yeah. It has not changed at all. You know, just mu what music she's been listening to, her hair style, her makeup style, the clothes she's been wearing, like what she brings with her to a place where almost, you know, time has forgot. You know, not much has changed. Yeah. So, and what that does when someone leaves home 
and sort of figures out who they are outside of the environment that has created them. It's misread, isn't it, by Eileen and, and, and Lily to be, I don't know, as, as if Chrissy's arrogant, you know, yes. she's she's showing yes. off. She yes. must be flirting with the, yes. the yeah. priest. Yes. Whereas the, the, the younger heart. character, Dolly, <laughs> she's yes. in, in, in awe. That's right. Because of these things, like it's it's... It's almost like she's seeing the future. That's right. The outfits she comments on it on it explicitly, yes. right? Yes. So it's, it's a there's a lovely dynamic that the four yes. of you've got and in that way. The younger actress who we're talking about is Aggie O'Casey, who is Thank Agnes you. O'Casey, who is a <laughs> remarkable British actress here, who's just wonderful like and a lovely presence. Yeah, no, she's just divine. She's divine on screen and off. So it was really so it was it's the four of us really. Absolutely. And um, was there a lot of play? You know, I mean. Uh, Jokes. I I don't know where I read it, but Kathy was quite funny in between. <laughs> well, in between everybody takes. was funny in between, and you know, making a small a small low budget movie mm. is not easy. No. So there's it's really how you deal with the stress, and the best way to deal with stress and difficult situations, demanding work situations, you know, is humor. So <laughs> you know, as most of the time on movies like this, you have to you have to sort of become bound together. Mm. And and sort of, you know, face the challenge together and relish the challenge of how do we make this with a limited budget? How do we make this happen so that it will hopefully speak to other people? And when you were number one on the sheet. There, oh, I was not number one. Oh, you're not sheet, number one. Nor should no, of course, I have no, been. Maggie, no, no, Maggie, no, no, Maggie, absolutely. Right? I should. No, no, no. I would never do that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So mm. what, let's say in general, mm-hmm. when you are high up there mm-hmm. on, on, on the cast list. Mm-hmm. When you've got an ensemble like that, when there's like four of you, like that feels yes. this movie feels like it's got four stars essentially. Yes. yes. Do you feel a lot of pressure lifted? Does that make the whole thing more enjoyable, or, or is there a new pressure that comes in where you think it's always depends I've got to be as good as these guys? No, it always depends upon the people. You right. know, most great actors are incredibly collaborative. Mm. The big first law of acting is it's not about you; it's about the other person. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so there's and there's an understanding that how to best serve a story, how to best serve a script, how to best serve a character. And the audience who ultimately will see it is, you know, is through a generosity of spirit. So that's sort of how we all proceed, most of us anyway. Is there anything you can tell us about working with Thaddeus O'Sullivan, Mm -hmm. a a bit about the process of the director? Well, this project is is unique because the the script had been around for about 20 years. Yeah. (laughs) And Maggie had been connected to it, I think, for most of that time. So it it just went through various incarnations and different casts and different situations, and it would fall apart, it would come back together. And and then it came together with this this group, our group, and then the pandemic hit, and it fell apart again. And then, so when it finally happened, you know, it was sort of... You know, you know it, it sounds so corny, but, you know, really a miracle in and of itself that the movie actually got made. Mm. Let, let's talk about miracles and, and, and Chrissy, mm-hmm. because she's clearly skeptical. She says it. You know, my mother was into all that ho- mm-hmm. hocus pocus. We're talking um, about Catholicism. Yeah. Catholicism. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, and, of course, there's this trip to Lourdes, which, mm-hmm. uh, you know, is, is a very holy place, um, mm-hmm. supposedly, that the Virgin Mary visited. Being a skeptic, mm-hmm. uh, not necessarily believing in miracles mm-hmm. why do you why do you think Chrissy goes why does she go why does she make that decision when she stands in front of that bus it's dramatic she's making yes. a statement publicly yes. well I don't know if she's looking for a miracle but I think she's looking she's looking to make her presence be known mm. she's not going away mm. this time is reconciliation reconciliation in her head at that point or do you think oh I don't think so no. I doubt it <laughs> yeah I think that's something that that you can you can you hope will happen but 
it's and you feel that as an audience member you you start yeah. to feel that's a, that's the miracle that I'd love to see yes to the point where you know any sort of tiny Tim moment with Dolly yes, is yeah. that would be an added bonus yeah. for an audience and member it, you know and it's, it's it's interesting to think about I mean I'm I am not a deeply religious person but I mm. certainly I think I probably am spiritual as I think most people in the arts tend to be because you are in service to something that's that's bigger than you and the act of making art is a miraculous thing it just it just is but it's interesting to think about what miracles are and miracles because I think most people think of a miracle as something that happens outside of themselves mm-hmm. and in this movie it's really more about what happens within each of these women how people evolve you know evolution is a miracle when someone very strongly believes one thing and then they change their mind they evolve and that's that's miraculous in and of itself when Absolutely. you don't think it's possible and particularly in the time that we're living in right now where there is conflict and there is pain and there is um, terror and there is confusion and frustration you know it is it is like a, a basic human thing to hang on to at least I am during this very troubled time that there is evolution that is possible yeah within ourselves and within a community so it's it's something that I'm that I'm contemplating a lot, even just on my own. What a lovely and inspiring thing to to wrap up on. That's so nice. And um, thank God for art, I suppose. Or well, if, if you're an atheist, thank. Yes, yes. I think the arts are in, <laughs> are in joy. They're inherently medicinal. You know that mm. the arts is a you know is a direct way to to connection. Yeah. And only through connection can things be be solved or made yeah. better. Okay, real brief before yes. you go, I have to ask this because mm-hmm. I have a lot of Irish family, Irish mm-hmm. ancestry, and you know we love to claim people. Yes, <laughs> for the team. Yes, all the time. Yes, you know the, the name Linny. I am ten percent Irish, from what there I've you been go. Told. Linny's actually from County Tyrone. The name originally. Yes. yes. So I did wonder if there was any percentage. There we can... is. Okay, there brilliant. is. These are my people. We will have you back, seventeenth <laughs> of March. Thank you, St Patrick's Day, twenty twenty four. Hope I, I hope to be there. Thanks, Laura. My Take pleasure. Care. Thank you. There you go. What an interview. Absolutely phenomenal. Um, I, I'm not sure what I was wearing. Uh, I'm going to wear. But it sounded great. Is going to be great. Tense-wise, I'm all over the place. Yes. But so, um, so just to stress, because I'm about to review the film, but I haven't heard the Laura Linney interview that you have just heard because it hasn't happened it hasn't yet. Happened yet, and it's yet been, it happened. Yes, it happened yesterday. It has been re-edited. It's been edited into the show, and I say that oh, so that hurts. because I may well repeat something because I have no idea what she said. Yeah. I, I'm a big, big fan of Laura Linney, oh, and, I, and I hope it went really well. Uh, yeah, I hope so too. This is, I feel like I'm in source code or something. I know, it really is. It yeah. really is like that. Laura, Laura Linney is, I mean, very, very excited to meet her, have met her. Because um, there's, there's something, she's got that twinkle thing, hasn't she? Yeah. You see it in Ozark. Yeah. When she's like, obviously a, a bit more evil. <laughs> than the, the not evil. Plan. She's just, not evil. She's, she's just a mother you don't want to mess with. You do, you do not want to mess with her. And yet she has that same twinkle, that smile. It's like, yeah, yeah she's, she's kind of special. Anyway, The Miracle Club, we both saw it. What did you make of it? Okay, so again, as I said, having not heard what Laura Linney said about it, so poignant tragicomic drama from Thaddeus O'Sullivan, who is director, has done a lot of television. He His uh, big screen CV includes December Bride, which I really liked, uh, Ordinary Decent Criminal. So the story is that Laura Linney's Chrissy returns to her old Irish hometown where she's met by Kathy Bates and Maggie Smith as Eileen and Lily, who look upon her scornfully because she went away decades ago and never came back. And then it turns out that there is 
all this kind of backstory between them and unresolved tensions. And through a plot contrivance, they are all being sent to Lords, which is theoretically the scene of miracles because they all have things that need to be dealt with. Eileen has found a lump on her breast. Lily has leg problems and is grieving the loss of her son, Declan, which it becomes clear is tied up with the reason why Laura Linney's character went away. So they go on a bus to Lords, all of them with stuff to be dealt with. And they're they're all in need of a miracle mm. or a cure. And their husbands are pretty much to a man annoyed at being left alone and the fact that the women folk are going off on a wild goose chase. And as with all all the best secular miracle movies, and I include in that thing things like Jesus of Montreal or even Jessica Housen's Lords, the plot contrives to allow the audience to decide for themselves yeah. whether or not miracles happen because miracles may happen but they're not of the you know making the lame walk kind of miracle that you it's miracles are not they're not dished out in the way that, that one would expect them to be so you can read it you can you can interpret it however you want to i thought this was this kind of tonally reminded me you know i was saying how much i, I like the great skp the great escaper because great escape was what he was called in in the press this has a similar kind of, you know, you could say, oh, it goes down well with a cup of tea, Mrs., and it's a Wednesday after, afternoon movie. But it does also tackle some serious issues. I mean, not least reproductive rights, yep. the lack of reproductive rights, and the terrible, devastating legacy of denying people uh, reproductive rights. Performances are very good. I mean, Laura Linney walks on water for me, and yep. uh, it sounds like for you as well. Agreed. Kathy Bates does a very good job of being scary when she's got a glass of red wine in her. You know, she's got that thing about, you know, she's fine, but you again, you wouldn't want to get on the wrong side of her. And Maggie Smith goes from flinty to sympathetic like that. And it's, oh, yeah. and it, again, you're talking about that kind of glimmer thing. It's, there is a certain kind of, you know, magic to watching her do it. You know, when she says, I'm not sure how many more chances I'll have to do this. Yeah. How many more chances? And you that that big close up of her face, and you're really sort of struck not just with the character's mortality, but Maggie Smith's as well. So yeah, you sort yeah, of yeah. sat there thinking, how many more times do we get to see this wonderful actor? You know, we just yeah. lost Glenda Jackson, um, and uh, yeah, that that really struck me that moment. So it's funny, you know, it's it, it's like I said, you can be sniffy about it, and you can you know you can say, oh well, you know, it's whimsical, and but it, which which it is, but I actually think that it does go into some darker places. It does, and I. I was very pleasantly surprised by that because obviously, you know, the title and the... The, the, on it, the, the title was the thing that scared me the most because as soon as I see Club, I just think... gone. Oh, uh, this is like an outing, it's like, like a care home outing type thing. Well, also, you know, it's also it's the image of they all get on a bus yeah. because they're all going somewhere and that is holiday on the buses. Absolutely. <laughs> really worried when I see the word yeah. Club and it just didn't it went against that grain completely yeah. i i thought i i found it really evocative from the start and you know it, sh- it should be said this this community that they're all from is a is like a deeply catholic enclave yeah, yeah. you know on the outskirts of dublin and you can really feel all that stuff and how much uh, things mean and it, I, f- I found it lovely that you know like you were saying you can decide what the miracle is yeah. with human beings a lot of the time it's especially with with British and Irish people, I don't know. We do struggle to be open with each other, and you know, no, it, it, no kidding. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. I for me, I got from it. It's a miracle that they're finally talking about yeah. these things openly. These really difficult things. That's that's the miracle. Almost to the point where I I I wasn't sure if we we're going to get a Tiny Tim moment or not. 
with the little boy, but I didn't really care because it was the the miracle of these women finally letting go, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And also that is, it's kind of the MacGuffin as well is the, you know, the, the, the pursuit of the miracle. Mm. There's, a, there's a lovely performance by Stephen Ray as uh, the husband who has yeah. never, never cooked before <laughs> and goes on a culinary voyage of discovery. <laughs> yeah, it's lovely. The Irish Jew, um, the younger husband being left alone with the baby and just, you yeah. know, picking up the baby like he was picking up a, a, a flat pack from Ikea, you know, like, what do Wondering I do Where here? the instructions are, yeah. And, uh, and, and Maggie Smith's husband, uh, that, that character, to, um, you know, she tells him, "Look, just just go to bed. Don't, don't worry. If, if, if you're worried, just go You'll to bed." Be and, safe. and whenever You'll we cut safe. to him, he's just in bed with snacks. <laughs> you know, maybe I'll be safe here. It's great. Good. Good. Yeah. Well, I'm no, glad I really that, enjoyed it. Yeah. Good. 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 And I think it's yeah. It's it's not perhaps the movie that that you would expect it to be. Yeah. And also like club, and it was billed as a comedy. I, I read, and I, I didn't see it as it's comedic. Comedic, it's comedic, comedic in, in part. But, you know, yeah, yeah. But it's, yeah, you know. It's but yeah, bit, enjoyed it. Bittersweet. I liked it too. Mm. I feel a horrible moment approaching. Yeah, because you know the ads are coming, but mm-hmm. also because you know the format of this show by now, there is something that needs to happen before we step into the ads. We've got to step into the lift. This time, the with laughter a, lift. With a practiced comedian. I know, which just, uh, just adds ben, pressure. Make it funny. All right. Uh, hey, hey, Mark. <laughs> Oh, hey, hey, Ben. Oh, hi, Mark. Right, come on, I'm going to sit back. This is going to be, this is going to be the first. This is the first time the laughter lift has ever been funny. Uh, we'll ben Smith, make me laugh. Oh, hey, Mark. Uh, and, and I enjoyed a mini break to Berlin uh, recently. I mean, I must say enjoyed. I mean, everything other than the food. You know, sausages, sausages, sausages. Did you know in Germany they even have a sausage made out of other sausages? No. That's no, the worst of the worst. <laughs> Okay. Uh, okay. I really messed up this week, Mark. Did you? Uh, yeah, I surprised my postman. It's a bit embarrassing, but <laughs> opening the door completely stark as was naked. I, I I don't know what shocked him the most, the nudity or the fact that I know where he lives. Ah, ah it's hey! a twist. Twist and reveal. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 told, uh, I told my wife this week that I've always had a crush on Beyonce. And she said, well, you know, whatever floats your boat. I'm really confused because that's Beyonce. Yeah, that doesn't they work. They save the weakest one for long. Yeah, they do, really. That's, do you want to have another run at that? Yeah, I t- okay. So I told my wife I had a crush on Beyonce. She said, no, you have to, you have whatever floats your boat. boat. And I'm confused because that's buoyancy. Buoyancy. Let's see, I was trying yeah. to... Listen, it just doesn't just work. No. Buoyancy, Beyonce. Yeah, no, Simon Paul. Yeah. Worse than, yeah. I've, got, I've got a film-adjacent joke, actually. Okay, go ahead. Written by my friend Olaf Falafel. Um... I'm, I'm, I'm looking for an, a, an actor to help me cure my lisp, right? Okay. Anne Hathaway, but I'll ask Colin Firth. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. <laughs> we'll be... We'll so be did you, how long were you stand up coming for? <laughs> well, that's Olaf's joke, to be fair. I love that joke. I think he's a very funny man. All right, uh, uh, it's Olaf Falafel at olaffalafel.com. Um, we'll be back right after this, unless you're a vanguardista, in which case we have just one question. What everyday object weighs 500 tonnes? Hmm. Hello, it's William and Jordan here from Help, I Sexted My Boss. And next Tuesday, our show at the London Palladium will be streamed live into cinemas. So if you want an evening full of laughs and outrageous problems and dilemmas, then come along and join us on the big screen. Help as Sex and My Boss Live is showing everywhere and everyone's welcome. Go to sexandmyboss.com slash cinema to get your tickets now. 
That's sexinmyboss.com slash cinema. Hello, Kermit and Mayo listeners. We want to tell you about another show you're going to love, Dinners on Me with Jesse Tyler Ferguson. You may know Jesse as Mitchell on Modern Family or for his Tony Award-winning performance in Take Me Out on Broadway. Each week, Jesse takes a different celebrity guest out to eat at a restaurant chosen just for them. No repeats. Past guests include Sofia Vergara, Brian Cranston, Mandy Moore, Chelsea Clinton and Ed O'Neill. More than 30 episodes are available right now, wherever you get your podcasts. We're back, and the answer to the little quiz question is the average cloud. Really? Yeah, the average cloud. A cubit, uh, one cubic kilometer uh, km3 cloud contains one billion cubic meters. It's one billion times 0.5, which equals 500 million grams of water droplets in the cloud. That's, that's about 500,000 kilograms or 1.1 million pounds. About 551 tons. Well, my mind is blown. There you go. You, but I'm still reeling from the from the laughter lift. Yeah, well, the less said about that, the better. The more said about cubic metres uh, <laughs> of, of liquid in clouds, um, the, 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 the better. Um, so, listen, to, to take a complete, uh, like, 180. <laughs> yes. We, uh, aside from losing Glenda Jackson recently, we also lost the mighty Terence Davis, who... You knew, right? You yeah, had, you had a relationship. Yeah, with him. yeah I mean, I, 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 mean, I was, a, I knew him because I was a huge fan of his, and um, of Time in the City was my favorite film the year it came out. I mean, I, you know, I had loved his early movies, his trilogy, and anyway, we invited him to come to the Shetland Film Festival, so we had a week in his company. And while he was there, um, he started writing. He was working on Sunset Song. And we just, I went to Liverpool with him for a piece that I did a, uh, for the culture show about of time in the city. And I just thought he was, the, you know, this great poet. But the lovely thing was that he was also this in, he was incredibly good company. He was he was funny and charming and witty and, you know, could be scathing. And, but he was, and he, he loved filmmaking and he loved film. And if you look at his early movies, which are really basically about falling in love with cinema, I think what's extraordinary is, how much, like if you look at Kenneth Branagh's Belfast, there's a sequence in that which is absolutely Terence Davis when he goes to the to the cinema and he watches Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Or, you know, you, you look at Empire of Light and you go, yeah, well, that is a, a Terence Davis movie. He was the great poet of uh, of British cinema. And it, it's, it is, it's, a, it's a real loss because I, I love his movies and he was... He was just an extraordinary person to be around. You love Time in the City. Oh my gosh, I I, I can safely say. I mean, I, I love feature length documentaries. It's one of my favourite things to watch. Uh, and there's something about this movie. I don't think I've ever seen a doc quite like it. Yeah. You know, you're used to seeing a, a doc that might be written and directed by the same person who may also narrate it. But a lot of the time they. They te- they purposely distance themselves emotionally from what's oh, yeah. going no, on. Not Terry. No, Ter- <laughs> Terence Davies is so deep into this. Obviously, it's about the place of, of his birth and he's grown up and how it's grown and changed o- o- over time and how he feels about it. But to see his raw emotion in every scene, and if he isn't speaking, it's a beautiful choice of music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're just lost in the archival footage. But when he does speak... He- 
it, it would constantly take you by surprise by being like incredibly cutting yeah. or acerbic about something when you're expecting him to say something kind of sweet and and his voice is so his voice rich is, and you yeah. know it's like you it's it, it is an absolutely superb voice and uh, I could I could listen to him talk for hours completely uh, singular the style of narration uh, and I mean what you know what I'd really love is if people went back and you know watched things like I think the trilogy is available on, on a BFI. DVD, if you look at things like House of Mirth, which is, a, a, I think, a really wonderful film. Sunset Song, which deserves to be seen on the big screen, but if you know if you can't, you know, just see it anywhere. Benediction, of course, was a huge success, and I had the great pleasure of doing some on stages uh, with Terry when, you know, when Benediction was out. Um, he had more films to make. He had, he had more stuff to get. I mean, it was... It, it's, this is kind of slightly heartbreaking because, um, yeah, I just thought he was a great filmmaker, and I, and I loved his films, and I he, you can you can tell from hearing of Time in the City. Imagine being in a pub with that I, voice. Yeah, I just can't. You know, give him a port and lemon and go, Terry, just talk, mm. just talk to me and tell me stories. You know, and he yeah. was he was a great, great, great storyteller and a great poet and an advocate of cinema, somebody whose life had been transferred, for whom cinema was the church, mm. you know. And, uh, yeah, a great shame. Yeah. I, I don't think I've ever heard anyone end sentences in the way he does. <laughs> I would like to hear him order another round of Guinness. <laughs> a, a, a little underappreciated in life, perhaps? I, I think, Some you know, he, he always struggled to make movies. He was constantly, you know, struggling to get finance. This is the great story of um, of British filmmakers is that, you know, Ken Russell struggled to make movies. Uh, all the all our great artists, you know, the people who you just think would just be hand up. No, no, they spent years of their lives fighting to get the funding to make the movies the way they wanted to make them. But what a body of work. What a body of work. I mean, there Maybe is... Maybe that fight is part of why there's so much great passion in those yes, pictures. Exactly, because when they actually get to make the film, it's, you know, you can... It seeps out of the... Out of the screen, you know, you can feel that it, it never did, you know, never did anything for anything other than love. I mean, I think it's absolutely true. You would not make those movies unless you absolutely were burning with yeah. a passion to do it. For Hammer and Tong to get them made. Yeah. Well, here's some appreciation uh, for Terence um, from some listeners. This is from Greg. He says, the final scene of Benediction mm-hmm. features some of the finest acting you're likely to see. Yeah. I remember being sat processing for the duration of the credits. Davies's films could tap into a very specific loneliness and pain, but always with a deep humanity. Britain's greatest filmmaker. I think that is Mm. very arguable, yeah. Rupert says, I love the trilogy, but I also adore the Neon Bible. Had had me from its first use of perfidia as the boy slips into his memories. Uh, Benediction was my favourite film of last year too. Incredibly witty, uh, while also being completely, quietly tragic. Uh, Logan says, I saw A Quiet Passion when I was 15. It's wonderful. Glasgow Film Festival. I connected so much to its melancholy and portrait of isolation. I actually met Davies after the screening and I was extremely complimentary. He seemed confused at why a teenager was at one of his films, (laughs) but was nothing but kind. That's brilliant. Thank you, but what are you doing here? No, no, no. But he was always... He was always delighted and amazed when people loved the films. Mm. And as I said, for somebody who, you know, who found his soul in the cinema, it was, yeah, he just lived and breathed the films. He lived and breathed the films, and he was very funny, very, mm. very funny. And there we go. Goodbye to Terence Davies. Okay, um, we are going to talk about the fall of the House of Usher. 
This is the new gothic drama. <coughs> excuse me. Sorry, that was a slightly Sorry. emotional moment. For, mm. <coughs> the new gothic drama Netflix miniseries from Mike Flanagan, who made films like Oculus and was the showrunner on uh, Haunting, created and directed Midnight Mass, which Simon and I both loved. I, I, I don't think you've seen it, but no. I must recommend it. So this uses Edgar Allan Poe's titular story as the setup, and then it proceeds to draw on other stories all transposed to the modern day for subsequent episodes. So in the first episode, Bruce Greenwood's Roderick Usher, who is the twin of uh, Madeline Usher, Mary MacDonald, is the CEO of a corrupt pharmaceutical company telling Carl Unley's police investigator that he is responsible for the catastrophic fall of the House of Usher, for the catastrophic demise of his family. And the investigator says, look, you know, I, I know how each of these people died. That you, what, you didn't do it. And Roderick says, ah, but you don't know anything. Sit back and listen. And then so... Episode two is called The Mask of the Red Death. His you know, little wastrel uh, son is setting up an elite orgy-like dance club, which is basically eyes wide shut, goes to hell. Mm. And so, so the original post story transposed to the present. Episode three is Murder in the Rue Morgue. Episode four is The Black Cat. And Are they all like set in the present day? All yes, it's a present day setting. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I've seen three so far. <clears throat> so it's but yes, it's it's a, it's a present day setting. Okay. So here's the thing. I loved Midnight Mass because Midnight Mass dragged me in. You start it, you know, the, the, the narrative is so engulfing. It's about this island and there's this kind of religious thing going on. You're not sure what it is and you're quite a long way in before you discover what it is and then it's got a this real creeping sense of dread. In the case of this, because it is episodic, it is uneven because anything that is episodic is going to be uneven. Mm -hmm. So the opening, the first episode I thought was terrific. It was great. Okay, this is an interesting way of updating the story. This is good. Well done, fine. Then the second episode had some moments, but it also committed that. that anything that reminds me of Eyes Wide Shut just literally it's makes me. It's just like, it's yeah, it's never a good thing. And, you know, masked ball dance orgies. It, 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 something very hard to get right. Um, Babylon. Yeah, but, but you know, I, yeah, yeah. yeah. You probably feel the same way about Babylon's idea. But then episode three pulls it back again. So my, what I think is, I think, I think he's a great director. I mean, there is a reason why people have said so many nice things. I mean, he's, probably, he's been praised by Stephen King, by William Friedkin, by Quentin Tarantino. He has style. He has flair. And this is an ambitious project. It is flawed but ambitious. And as we were saying before, when we were talking about creator, flawed but ambitious is good. Mm. Um, the the unevenness, if you think of something like, uh, you know, Guillermo del Toro's Cabinet of Curiosities mm -hmm. or um, Tales of the Unexpected, you know, some of the Tales of the Unexpected were great and some of them weren't. Yeah. And everyone's got the ones they remember. So, I, you know, as, from what I've seen so far, I am sure that they will be great episodes and not so great episodes. Right. I think he's got an awful lot of, you know, panache and style. What I don't have is that... Because essentially, because of the way it plays out, it's sort of like, and this is going to make it sound better than it is, it's like Succession written by Edgar Allan Poe. Right. Because there's a there's the whole thing about the family, the corrupt family, okay. and then the offspring and the collapse. So there is a lot of it in which you're going, okay, fine. So this is, you know, it. so it's a, it's a bit sub-Jesse Armstrong, and it's a bit sub-Stanley Kubrick, and it's a bit, you, you know. But every now and then, Succession, as written by Edgar Allan Poe, kind of works right. because obviously there is a lot of fall of the house of usher in, in succession. succession so you know it's 
It's enjoyable. Okay. I don't. I don't. It's not Midnight Mass, but it is enjoyable. So there are recurring characters from previous yeah, yeah, yeah. episodes that come back in. Yeah, yeah. So, but it, each being... one is the, the story of how each character's fall has happened, and he is centrally blaming himself okay. for, and it's saying, "I'm going to explain to you why it is that that this curse is actually at the root of all of it." Because the whole thing about fall of the House of Usher is. The House of Usher is rotten from the inside, mm. and it's all to do with you know, people being. You know, what Edgar Allan Poe is all to do with people being buried alive and walled up, and you know, and, and you know, and, and but that idea of, of of rotting. There is a really brilliant Poe adaptation by Jan Svankmeyer, um, which is kind of part live action, part um, part animation. But it's that idea of fetid, rotting, corrupt. Mm. You know, so whenever we think about the collapse of an empire, fall of the House of Usher is there in the background. Right. So I think so. That's probably the Succession connection. Mm-hmm. Is that Succession isn't without its Edgar Allan Poe? Gotcha. So worth a watch, but maybe yeah, yeah, yeah. pick your favourites. Yeah, but I mean, you know, even the ones that aren't great mm. are, are still watchable. It was just I think after the first episode, which was really great, and the second, oh, <laughs> right. but then it pulled it back. Okay. Well, there you go. Um, it's time for our, our um, listener correspondence now in the in the what's on section. This is uh, where you'll email your events to correspondence at kermodemayo.com. Uh, and this week we have Cameron from Toronto, uh, the Toronto International Film Festival. Um, let's hear a bit from Cameron. This is Cameron Bailey at TIFF in Toronto. Now that this year's Toronto International Film Festival is behind us, we're inviting film lovers to our autumn season at our Lightbox Cinemas. From October 12th to November 2nd, we'll present Reclaiming the Past, Romanian Cinema Before the New Wave. If you love your Porumbuyu, your Munju, and your Judah, you'll want to see the subversive Romanian films from the 50s through the 90s that laid the foundation. Details online at tiff.net. Pa! We'd like to let everyone know about the Purbeck Film Festival in Dorset. We're screening over 80 films at more than 30 venues, from village halls and sports clubs to churches and restaurants, as well as our local independent cinemas like the Rex in Wareham. Our lineup showcases recent indie films such as Rimini, No Bears, and Brother, alongside favourites like Ticket to Paradise and classics like Doctor Strangelove. The festival runs from October the 20th to November the 4th, and our full programme can be found at purbeckfilm.com. So there you go. That was Cameron from TIFF, Toronto International Film Festival, followed by uh, a long-time listener with perhaps definitely the name of the week, perhaps the name of the take so far, Pippa Punch. Fantastic. Pippa Punch. Could you Pippa to the punch? Probably not. Who was telling us about the uh, Perpec, Perbeck sorry, Film Festival in Dorset. Um, so, it's beautiful. Yeah, it is lovely. Um, if you have a trailer of your own, um, sort of no more than 20 seconds, nice and punchy, Pippa Punchy, uh, send it in uh, from uh, anywhere in the world to correspondence at kermodeandmayo.com. And that's the end of the madness of take one. <laughs> um, How was it for you? <laughs> yeah, it was great. I mean, that, listen, I love it. I, I love being asked to do this. I really do. Uh, it's, 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 it's been an honour from the start. Um, and to, to have gone through the changes from, you know, back in the old days uh, at the Beeb to Back to in now, the old days. Yeah. And you, you got to bear in mind, I've been listening since you lot were on Radio 1. Like, that's how LTL I am, you know? Somebody came up to me the other day and said, I've been listening to you all my life, and all you can think is, that makes me feel so old. Yeah, well, <laughs> I'm not going to say that. But, you know, I will say that when I first started listening to you, I, if someone told me there'd be a day where you'd have your own 
coffee cups and bloody ch- chili bottles. I'd have told you to naff off. <laughs> so, you know, well done is what I'm saying. I'm glad to be a part of it. Well, stick around because take two. Yep, man, it's a take loads two. and loads of take stuff, three. loads of reviews. Oh my gosh, there's so much more to come. Thanks for listening, guys. This has been a Sony Music Entertainment production. Our, our brilliant team, as always, was Lily, Matthias, Vicky, Paul B, Richie Lee, Teddy, Beth, Michael and Hannah Talbot. The redactor-in-chief, as always, is Simon Paul. Um, Mark, what's your film of the week? I'm going to say Silver Dollar Road because I want mm. people to see it. Well, it's a documentary to. that's really worth checking out. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, of course, Manus to Take Two, uh, get get it downloaded. There's, there's going to be... Uh, well, loads of extra stuff. Loads of stuff. Recommendations, bonus reviews, and Manasa Take 3 will be on Wednesday with question questions. So, you know, don't miss that either. Uh, toodaloo. Toodaloo. Simon will be back next week. Hey. Hey.